New office opening this month down in Old Parkland, the Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation is opening an office that goes along with the ones they already have in Nairobi and The Hague and Boston and Menlo Park. And it's entirely appropriate because the Kaplan in it is Rob Kaplan, former CEO of the Dallas Federal Reserve and former vice chair of Goldman Sachs. The CEO of DRK is uh, Jim Bilder, and he joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Good to be with you, for sure. So explain to me the foundation. So, I mean, it, it, it. I look at it, and it looks to me sort of like a nonprofit shark tank with a with a mission. <laughs> well, you know, you, uh, you've encapsulated it. I mean, basically, we think of ourselves as a venture capital firm for good. And you're right. We are a 501c3, so we're a public charity. But our entire mission uh, is about changing the conditions that constrain vulnerable populations here in the United States, Africa, India, and Europe. And the venture philanthropy part that sort of is associated with us is the idea that we apply that same discipline that venture capitalists apply for economic gain. We apply it for social impact and social gain. And, um, you know, in a world that's as complicated as the one we're living in, being super intentional about what you're investing in and serving as an operating partner, and that's part of our model, which I'll talk more about, uh, is a unique contribution to organizations that have the highest potential of making a difference in the lives of others. You, you, you really have not narrowed the investment horizon very much at all. I mean, you, so you'll look at anything? Is that, what is the bias? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, our, so we're not agnostic. Uh, in that we are trying to solve complex problems, large, complicated problems. And so, you know, we have um, exposure in every one of the complicated problems society faces. Give so, me an example or two. Yeah, sure. Inequity in education, lack of health access, lack of food and uh, water, lack of um, uh, social justice, employment opportunities, and the like. So... Companies come to you, but also I gather you ferret out good causes. And we then do. You, and then you mentor them. Well, so number one, so we look at about 2,000 opportunities every year, and we end up funding about 20. Wow. Yeah. And so, and again, our so I'll t- let, let me walk you through the six things we're really trying to figure out. Okay. Number one, what's the nature of the problem? And we think... Uh, we do a better job of understanding a problem and the ecosystem that surrounds that problem in order to figure out, will the solution or this attempt to alleviate the problem be likely to succeed? And then we're looking at the sustainability, the so-called, quote, business model. Is this organization likely to be able to persist? Because our point of view is to create meaningful change. You need to persist for a long time. Number three, we're looking at the leadership, and today, more often than not, we're investing in teams, not a single person, because it's so rare to find somebody who has strong operating skills and and specific domain knowledge. Then finally, we're asking ourselves, does this have the potential to scale? So, you know, can we really replicate this within the state, outside of states, within cities? And then the most important question we ask is, okay, how can we add distinctive value? What can we really bring to this? So if you were a, a, a venture capital outfit, you would look at something like this, you'd vet it, 
find your people, maybe better it, fund it. But you'd also have an exit strategy. And you'd be looking probably, I don't know, five to seven years out. There'd be an IPO. Or maybe you'd do some roll-ups, maybe some, some combinations. How do you differ? Or, or do you? No. So so what is our exit strategy? Yeah. Our exit strategy is to be able to solve a problem completely. And that's very, very rare when we're tackling. I'll give you one example. So Education Superhighway uh, was an attempt to solve for the lack of broadband in schools in the United States. And when that organization started, uh, virtually all schools across the United States had no significant broadband to be able to teach in schools the kind of curriculum that was being developed. The entrepreneur, Evan Marwell, identified the problem, went to the FCC. They said, oh, there's no problem here. He then collected the data to prove it. He proved it. They were able to unlock uh, $3 billion of funds that were sitting in the federal government in E-rate, repurpose it, and they were able to declare a victory because they got 49 million students connected to broadband just before the pandemic hit. But that was sort of mission accomplished till the mission was irrelevant, right? Kids weren't in school, the broadband yeah, was interesting yeah. but useless. And so we created Education Superhighway 2, which is trying to solve not for the infrastructure, the fact that broadband does exist, but there's an affordability problem. Like it does exist, but people can't afford it. And so now he's working on that component piece because a lot of people are at home. And uh, so it's rare that an organization can solve a problem completely. And so that is a, that's our exit strategy. But the interim exit strategy is that we can um, have a direct impact in, in every organization of at least 10,000 lives or more. Can these... Can these efforts become self-sustaining or, yeah. or actually generate money? Yeah. Well, so let's talk about what we think of as, quote, the end game. Okay. So in 90% of what we're investing in, the end game is ultimate government adoption. So proving to governments that the solution, the remedy, the alleviation works, is affordable, and can actually improve the lives of others because governments are not risk takers. And so that's our end game in virtually everything we're doing. And that doesn't matter if it's in the United States or Africa or India. And so we've had portfolio organizations develop specific health remedies that are then adopted by the Department, the Interior Minister, the Department of Health. We've established a utility that's essentially one of the largest in Africa dealing with sanitation. Um, and now that's commercially viable on, an, on its own, but it needed philanthropy to get it to a point that's there. Is the foundation, does it require continuing funding? Is there money flowing in all the time? Or is the, the idea that it becomes self-sustaining at some point? Well, you're asking two questions. So one is, okay, how do, what's our business model with respect to grants to organizations? And so that one, let me address that first, and then I'll talk about sure, the foundation. Sure. So our model is super unique in that we fund 300,000, 100,000 a year for three years for a nonprofit and 300,000 if it's a for-profit with a social mission-driven uh, mission. Uh, but what is super unique is we never reinvest. So it's one time. And why do we do that? Yeah, I can see in your eyes. The reason we do that <laughs> is that it sets up our relationship with our organizations 
to be totally candid with each other. They're not worried about auditioning for a new grant. And so we are the first call, not the last call when there's a problem because they have just no downside. We can only help them. They're not going to be penalized because they told us something that was going wrong. So that is, you know, an enormous um, differentiator. The other one is that in every investment, we serve on these boards, not as just governance, but as operating partners. And so we're working hand in hand, 24 by 7, with our leaders to help them accomplish their mission. And so those two elements, though, only fund once and serving on the board, and it's for a three-year period of time because our most precious resource is not money, it's human resource. And our point of view is that if in that three years of intensive work with our organizations, we haven't set them up so that they have continued funding from others and we haven't sort of gotten the core elements of their infrastructure right, then we failed. And so we are working really intensely in that three-year period to set them up for success. So that's our model to our grantees. For ourselves, we are funded by 80 donor partners, family foundations, institutional uh, philanthropy, individuals, and we we raise it in sort of tranches. So we have just closed our fourth fund at a roughly $80 million, which will deploy over four or five years, and then we'll start raising another round uh, from donor partners uh, the, in 2024, and that's how we raise our capital. And we're we're you know basically we raise money, we allocate it, we sit on those boards, and we do it over and over. And you know again we've raised uh, this is our fourth fund, and I don't see any reason why we wouldn't have a fifth, sixth, seventh fund. Yeah, I mean the numbers are incredible. I 200. I've got 200 investments. Uh, impacting 274 million direct lives, another 30 million indirectly. That's remarkable. So are you geographically agnostic? As I say, you're just opening this office in Dallas, which is a good excuse to chat. You've got offices in Boston, Menlo Park, but also The Hague and Nairobi. Right. And so 50% of all of our investments are here in the United States, and they're operating in almost every state. Um, and then the balance of our organizations are operating in Africa, Europe, and India. And those are the geographies where we have a footprint. And because our model is so hands-on, it's not like we could really support work where we have no presence, no office, no you know, ability. Yeah. You can't Zoom this stuff in. So, I mean, it sounds fascinating. And it sounds like the things that you're investing in, that you're helping out with the social cause are you know, sort of nuts and bolts, you know, education and water and, and and that sort of thing. Do you ever get any trendy things? I mean, everybody's talking about chat GPT and artificial intelligence right now. Yeah, so we're focused on the basics of life. Now, no doubt, you know, I don't know, 60 years ago, somebody would have said, you know, there's this thing, the Internet that's coming around. And, and somebody would have said back in those times, well, we're focused on the basics of life. And, you know, the Internet's the Internet now. The truth is that um, our society's experience with technology, has, it's affected every component piece, yeah. not always for good, often for bad. And uh, artificial intelligence and the chatbots and all that are, are now, you know, in the early stages of affecting society. But it, it'll be tactical for us. 
as far as I can determine, philanthropy, this empathy, this idea of seeing injustice and wanting to do something about it, having, you know, empathy for those that are less fortunate, that's not an artificial intelligence strength. And so it's still going to take human beings to get uh, most of the world's problems solved or, you know, spoiler alert, there is no super legion of heroes that's going to come down and rescue us. And so it's up to us. That's kind of the way I saw DRK, uh, the Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation, just opening an office in Dallas. The CEO of is Jim Builder, and you do some fascinating things. I look forward to the next chat. Um, you and, bet. And here's some here's some good war stories along the way. Okay. Thanks a lot for being with us for more of our conversation. Go to krld.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.